This is Customer Conversations, where ANZ customers share their unique stories of success, challenges, and what can be learnt along the way. Under the shade of Mount Wellington, Longley Organic Farm is a hub of innovation. In addition to growing more than 50 varieties of organic vegetables, fruits and herbs, Longley Organic Farm offers a full harvest of ideas. From a weekly subscription box of fresh seasonal produce, to supplying local restaurants with goods and assisting other micro farmers to access specialised tools and equipment, Longley Organic Farm isn't afraid of diversifying. James Hutchinson, the co-owner and operator of Longley Organic Farm, sat down with Shane Elliott, CEO of ANZ, to discuss the demands of micro-farming, partnering with local communities, and how we can get the most out of the land we have access to. So hi, I'm here with uh, an ANZ customer, of course, James Hutchinson from Longley Organic Farm. Uh, great to meet you, James, here in Hobart. Same, same. Hey, um, really keen to talk to you actually today, not only because you've got a successful business, but an organic business, and maybe that's a little bit about what Tasmania is famous for, which is a great thing, but because in addition to that, you're also a trailblazer in innovation when it comes to sustainable farming. Now, you're not from Tasmania. Did you come here with that aspiration around micro-farming, or were you already here when, when that occurred to you? We started this business a dozen or so years ago. Really, it came out of raising children and wanting them to have a, a connected lifestyle in the outskirts of Hobart. So we had a piece of marginal land and we decided to see what we could do with this land. And you know, we found that uh, this offered a few opportunities for us to set up some micro businesses so that we could uh, sustain ourselves. Right. The land that I found uh, was on the back of Mount Wellington. So you know, a lot of people said, uh, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I reckon I'll grow some trials, some crops. And they said, oh, you're silly. This is not the place to do it. And for me, I thought, well, this is probably a very good opportunity to see if we can successfully grow uh, a, a profitable source on, on marginal land. And that has proven to be the case. So that was how much was it you inspired just by the challenge of that? Did that like spur you on? It's interesting because you hear a lot of people I've met who run small businesses, a lot of people on their way have told them that they were foolish or it was never going to work and try to talk them out of it. And obviously that happened to you. Does that, as an individual, does that like spur you on? Prove people wrong? I'm going to do it? Uh, not, not necessarily. Tasmania's got a wonderful community of creative networks. There's no doubt that that's uh, an encouraging thing to have around you. But I, I see these same creative networks all around Australia and, and globally. So what do you grow on the farm today? What kind of stuff? So we, we grow 30 to 50 different um, small crops. 30 to 50, so that's, a, that's radically different, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a farmer either, and I don't even, I certainly don't have a farming background, but most are really specialists today, aren't they? If we look at the big majors, they'll specialise in a crop. So 30 to 50, that's quite unique in and of itself, I would have thought. Yeah, so this is, this is um, definitely becoming more of a, a common uh, approach these days. So variable cropping has its advantages, in, definitely in peri-urban market farming, market gardening, to be able to um, provide... A, a range of, of produce to you know a chef or uh, or to a, a group of families. Does that help? Added value. Yeah. Does it? I imagine that must help too, with just in terms of I guess the financial stability of the business or sustainability to make sure you have crops throughout the year rather than being reliant on one season. That's, that's right. This style of farming is very resilient. 
So definitely don't have our eggs all in one basket. And how do you sell your product? Where does it actually go? You mentioned chefs, so I imagine you have some yes. restaurant distribution or what else? As we've developed our market, um, uh, we've realised that there's a, a commonality for, for growers doing the same thing as us globally, and that is farm gate markets for veggie boxes, uh, which is all low food miles and, and local um, community-based. So the world's turning to subscription. You know, we subscribe for all sorts of things now. So that says you sign up, you get a weekly box, and you kind of get what you get. Yeah, so that's kind of it. The concept of community-supported agriculture um, with veggie boxes is really started probably 10 or so years ago in, in the States, and it's about having seasonal produce, so what's in season, straight from the ground, so it's low food miles, the nutritional value of the, the food, the integrity of the nutritional value is greater. People are more connected with the grower. And that, so there's an added level of, of trust between the grower and the consumer, you know. So um, consumers find this of greater value than something they would otherwise purchase. I've noticed in that, in that move to organic, there's a greater focus, I guess, on kind of heritage products and different kinds of produce than you might see just at the supermarket. Is that part of what you're doing as well? Kind of trying to introduce people to new things? One of the inspirational parts of um, uh, CSA Veggie Boxes is that people need to really think about the food that's in season. They need to think about what can be grown locally and how to incorporate that into uh, into their family's menu and their family's diet. I often have reports coming back from the members of our Veggie Box um, subscription saying what wonderful things that they've created with, with this food that they hadn't otherwise thought of. Now, you mentioned that the land's not too far away from Hobart. Tell us how you set up the farm. So it wasn't, it wasn't a farm previously, the land that you're on? No, it, no, it wasn't. Um, and how does one prepare to be organic? I mean, what does, what does I imagine it's not something you can just turn a switch on and say, hey, this land's now organic. So what do you have to do? Yeah, so um, when we talk about organic, we're, you know, I mean, you could either be talking about the, the process that you use or, or an organic certification. Mm -hmm. Organic certification is an audit trail that has governance. So, so um, you, to be organic certified, it helps if you only grow one crop, of course, uh, because there's there's less to to audit. So we are certified organic, and um, you know we started growing uh, biointensively, and we looked into the best ways to look after our soil and, and to develop our soil. That is really a separate issue from running a certified organic farm. But it's important that I can uh, demonstrate a, a practice for people to do variable cropping and have it certified. So that's led me to look at developing standardised systems for variable cropping that make organic certification easier to, to access. Right. And just in terms of the use of uh, humates, is that how I pronounce yeah, it? Uh, what, yeah. What humates. are those and what, what, what's the role of those in the process? So, so um, in regenerative uh a regenerative approach which we take to our soil, we need to promote the life in the soil as much as possible. So um, a lot of the nutrition that we're getting from our soil is, is liberated by microbes in the soil. So we feed our soil and that's, that's primary. What our goal is with the soil is to try to build as much stable carbon in the soil and, and humates are a form of stable carbon. So often people think um, uh, if they're just adding some compost, they're adding carbon to their soil, which they might be doing, but if the compost hasn't gone through a process of humification by by microbes, so by bacteria and, and cellulose digesting fungi, then um, the, 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 the carbon isn't in a stable form 
and we'll land back back into the atmosphere. Oh, I'm glad you told me that. I just I've just invested in a composting system at home. I quite kind of little <laughs> hobby I've started. I quite enjoy it actually. I feel. I mean, I've noticed, um, and I read a little bit about it about making sure that the composting is kind of um, varied. That you know you need to you can't just put all the same old thing into the compost and making sure that it has that kind of variety in it and etc so i'll have to read up a little bit more about uh, that for the for the future now one of the other things i imagine in a and again i based on not a lot of knowledge but in a farm of that size doing 30 to 50 um, veggies and various produce it must also uh, challenge you in terms of just the machinery and tools that you use you know yeah. you're not talking about massive combine harvesters that's right, that's right? right so that's right how does that work and yeah so um, in order to be able to do what we do year in year out we need to be profitable in the last five years we've seen a lot of development in in this space for for tools to fit our standardized um, system so the standardization has been really important to for, for this equipment development you know so we we use a lot of the same tools that big agriculture uses, but they've been shrunk down to fit into our system. Right. So, where do they come from? They come from innovative farmers who have moved to this system and then really thought about how we can integrate these these um, concepts into into our model. So, some a lot of the equipment comes out of the states. Uh, some of it comes out of Japan, Korea. Um, France. So that's an interesting question. So when you think about the organic movement, there are certain countries that have seemed to have embraced it, certainly as a consumer, just in terms of availability, whether that's in a restaurant, but more importantly in supermarkets, you can you can almost measure the shelf space that's being dedicated to it, or even here in Australia, actually. It's not that long ago the major supermarkets would have had almost no organic, and now today it seems to be an increasing part. When you think around the world, do you look at other countries as sort of being as leading the way in, in terms of either techniques and farming or just in terms of adoption of organic? There's, I think there's a really strong move with the community on the whole towards um, understanding where the food comes from and, and wanting to have some sort of ownership over the processes that brings the food to their table. Mm. And um, they want nutrient-dense food. They, people are starting to understand the soil is, is really paramount to the nutrient pathways in the food and that this ultimately concerns our health. So really it's a, it's a global movement, I find. It doesn't come from one place. It, I think it comes from access to uh, better information and I see this as much with um, people my age or older or, or younger people and especially the younger people now seem to demand this as a norm. So hmm. so for that reason, I'm starting to see a healthier yeah. um, future. One of the challenges of organic has been, given that it's generally smaller in scale, uh, there's always going to be a price, well, I don't know always, but there certainly is a price difference. Right, and a lot of people, I think, might think that well, you know, organic food's really for wealthy people or people who can afford uh, to, to to pay. What's your answer to that? I mean, and I, I I don't know. I imagine that that price difference will come down in time as more and more convert. But there is a difference, and in some cases, it's reasonably significant. What we find is with the community-supported agriculture model, because it's a, a community direct process. It's for profit, but it's community direct. The way the food goes from the grower to the consumer is different. So the pricing comes down a lot. So with our, with our veggie boxes, um, the real price is uh, the same or cheaper than the supermarkets. And the, I'm talking about conventional food. Yeah. So really, this model gives access to uh, bio-intensive and certified organic food for the same cost or cheaper than than is being currently delivered. What have you observed about this industry, organic, but also the model that you have? Is it expanding? Uh, I mean, do people come to you and ask, hey, how do I get involved or how, what can I learn from you? Do you see it as a, is it a growing movement or? So yeah, as our system has come online more, 
um, with access to equipment and, and people understanding that the system works. Uh, a lot more people are, uh, are wanting to get involved in the system. It has application a- across a, a wide um, range of communities and market segments. So, you know, we, we find as much people, uh, vineyards are wanting to set up their own micro farms or, or conventional farmers might want to have an area on their farm which will in- involve a micro farm as well. Or community groups uh, see the value in in running their own small micro farm. Yeah, you, in in our conversation today, you, you you've used the word system a lot. You talk about the system and etc. So, what do you mean by the system? Where did is that something you developed? You've you've learnt about what what exactly? Where did so it come from? When I was first looking into um, the problems of trying to make a profitable system that was sustainable, that meant that I could keep on doing this for ten or twenty years. Questions kept on coming up, and and that I couldn't find answers for that, that I was looking for. And people would come and work on my farm with me and they'd say, oh, have you heard about this guy in Canada called J.M. Fortier who you, you must know him. He does pretty much the same thing as you. And I hadn't heard of him. And then a couple of years later, I found about J.M.'s work and he had asked pretty much the same sort of questions and um, to make farming sustainable. And we realised that we needed to standardise a, a lot of the structure in that small farming. So standardised bed lengths uh, or standardised bed widths, path widths, um, ergonomics, you know, a whole range of elements. Mm. So you mean, you talked about your ambition before. So your, your land size hasn't really changed in that time, so you've kept it largely the same? That's right. Every year I'm able to improve the, the soil quality, improve the yield that I get off the land. And so really micro-farming is much about doing more with less and really finding out how far... We can we can take the system, you know. Yeah, and you mentioned you had children, and what do they think about all of this? Um, you know, they've grown up around it, so right. so to them it's just normal. My daughter is now uh, getting more and more involved in the in in the business side of it. People are worried about food safety, wanting to have that identity of where their food has come from. The food miles issue that you're talking about, a concern around uh, pollution, etc. Um, but also on the other side, there's always been this big movement around just food. You think about things, whether it's MasterChef, whether it's uh, River Cottage, whether are these massive phenomenon that are happening globally, which people wanting to connect more closely with the land and you know experiment with different kinds of food and produce. You know, we talked about before the you know kind of the rise again of heritage. Uh, produce, which people have forgotten about, and uh, all those. So I think all those things trends seem to be coming together. Uh, and then, plus, in many ways, your 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 business is this kind of community-based business, which again is a whole new model. We're seeing these social enterprises, which are springing up in all sorts of fields, and these ideas of cooperation rather than necessary competition. So, from certainly from an outsider, it seems to me you're onto something here. Uh, it seems to be a trend that'll be really supportive of your business. And anyway, wish you all the very best for the future. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Shane. Thanks. That was Shane Elliott, CEO of ANZ, talking with ANZ customer James Hutchinson from Longley Organic Farm. Music is inspired by Kevin McLeod. To learn more, visit news.anz.com forward slash customer conversations and tell us what you think. I'm Gemma Simpson, digital producer and editor. Please join me again next time for more customer conversations.